Hey, how you doing? My name is Luke Such. I'm Scott Meinema. And today we are talking about a theology of suffering, looking at suffering and trials and the life of a Christian, how to view those through the lens of faith. Yeah, I think it's, we, we could say it this way, we are, all of us are either in the midst of suffering or we will be in the midst of suffering. Suffering uh, in the life of a Christian and really in the life of an unbeliever is mm. is going to come. And the question is, how do I, how do I think about it? How do I respond to it? Um, how do I view trials and suffering? Because I think, Luke, and maybe this is a good way to jump into it, is when trials and suffering come, and, and again, they will, they do, the question that we, we all ask is something along the lines of, you know, if God is, if God is good and God is sovereign, if, he, if he's loving, then, then why? Why, why me? Yeah. And, and, and those are good questions to ask, and, and, and we need to ask them. But what we, the takeaway from today, I think, as we just look ahead is, where do I find hope in mm-hmm. the midst of my, in my suffering? Right. Yeah, I, I like the the framing. Uh, suffering is going to be a part of your life if you are human. There's no real way around that, um, and unless you want to redefine terms and and kind of shout shut your your senses to everything that's happening. I, I, there's it's just an inevitability of being alive that things are going to grate against you. And part of that, I mean, part of our like initial answer has to to point us back to sin and why is a reflection of a, a broken and fallen world. But before we, uh, before we dive too much deeper into that, we talked about this, that um, it's important that we note at the beginning, if you're working through suffering right now, probably a lot of what we're going to say is not intended to be uh, consumed or even worked through in the midst of great sorrow or suffering. Uh, the, the pastoral response to someone who is hurting and, and laboring through the difficulties of this world are, is to, to just sit and to weep and, and say, this is hard. Man, it's hard. I'm sorry. And, and to, to empathize and to sit with uh, those who are broken. Or if you are in, in that broken state, to find someone else to sit with. The best thing that Job fr- Job's friends do is sit with him for a few days before they start talking. Right. Yeah. So, so when we think about what we're kind of going to lay out at a big picture uh, theological response, we got to make sure that we understand that the theological response is not always applied in any individual's life in any given moment. There is a, a strategic or, or perhaps to, it's the difference between wisdom and knowledge, right? But what we're talking about is broadly knowledge on this question. Wisdom is knowing when to bring the, that knowledge to bear on the situation and when to sit quietly and weep with someone who's broken. Yeah, and just to kind of dovetail, Luke, off what you said, I mean, if someone, if you're listening to this and you're going through some deep waters right now, whatever they may mm-hmm. be, we are remarkably sorry for what you're going through. And what I would, what I would say is, you know, the Lord 
is close to you. Mm. The Lord, in fact, thir- Psalm 34, 18 comes to mind. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, yeah. and he saves the crushed in spirit. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And in the midst of your suffering, as you're looking for rest, if you're looking for answers, of all the things that we could say right now, where we want to point one another is in the God of suffering. While we may not understand what you're going through, particularly the Father does, Hmm. and more specifically, Christ understands what you're going through right now and can sympathize, and so run to him. he, He doesn't spare himself from that fate. If there's anybody who had a right to be spared from the the weight of suffering, it is the sinless second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, and yet he walks into it to be with you, to identify with you, to know your suffering as you do. It's, if there's any comfort in the midst of the suffering, it is that you are there in the good company of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the long-term hope, while it seems insurmountable today— we can, with remarkable hope, look to the day when there will be no more pain and yep. when there'll be no more suffering and when we will live in a unbroken world with with Christ um, forever. This is but a moment hmm. compared to what we're going to enjoy. Light momentary affliction. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that, that gets—I don't want to say the caveat, but the, the, the necessary pastoral preemptive at the beginning yeah. of the conversation. If we then move into the the bigger, broader intellectual or philosophical topic on why there is suffering and how should a Christian respond to suffering, where do you think we should begin? Why don't we just start with talking about what are some of the types of, of trials and suffering? Okay. Uh, Right. Where, what um, is it? I think sometimes Christians think, well, um, my suffering or what I'm going through right now, maybe it's an unwanted diagnosis or maybe mm. it's a, a, loss of, a loss of someone close to you. And we think, well, God is, God's punishing me. Or, or we think um, God's, God doesn't really care. If he cared, he wouldn't be in it. Um, and so I think before we talk about just a, a theology of suffering. Perhaps we just practically talk about some types of suffering. For example, trials and suffering can come as a result of our own sin, right? I mean, we see that in David's life and Jonah's, sure, the, the Jonah's life. Samuel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at a big, broad level, all trials and suffering are a result of sin. Yes. That being said, uh, right, this world was perfect, unbroken, pure, and unadulterated at one time. Sin enters the world. Suffering is a result of that sin. That's right. So that's at, at the highest level, the logical level. level. Yep. Yes. But when we zoom down into the specifics of any individual's life, there can be suffering that comes directly from specific sin. Right. And and right, like you mentioned, we see that biblically. I think of Achan in Joshua chapter seven. Achan lies. St- Deals from the fallen city of Jericho, hides it in his tent, and then is yeah. eventually executed for his sin against the Lord and against his right. fellow Israelites. Yep. And but 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 tri- trials and suffering can also come as a result of the of the sin of others, mm. right? I mean, maybe you're betrayed by someone who 
cared for you or falsely accused, or perhaps you've experienced some sort of manipulation or abuse. Um, I mean, Paul, right, in 2 Corinthians 11, or the psalmist in Psalm 119, there's all kinds of examples of suffering because of the sin of someone else. Yeah, to be the the recipient, the outpouring of someone else's sinful wrath or bitterness or anger or frustration or whatever it may be, uh, as sinful people walk around this world, we bump into each other. Yeah. And every once in a while, that you you get their uh, consequences on you just by nature of being another human. Again, uh, biblically, I, I go back to that passage in 2 Samuel 24, where David numbers the men, and he's not supposed to. He's supposed to trust in God for his military might. Instead, he wants he wants a quantifiable approach. You know, I have dominance in the region. What are the numbers? And as a result of David's sin, 70,000 people die. Mm. You go, well, what did they do? Yeah. Uh, they lived in a world with sinful people. And, and so it was nothing of their fault that the text tells us. It was just the fact that David sinned and as, as, as a political leader in, in Israel, his consequence of his sin had far-reaching consequences. Yeah, yeah. And as we kind of keep thinking about it, right, trials and suffering can come just as a result of of loss. I, I, I think of, you know, loss of health or loss of a job or, or passed over for a promotion or loss of a loved one. You know, Mary and Martha, for example, hmm. uh, with Lazarus. Hmm. Um, so again, trials and suffering can come as a result of loss. It can come as a result just from, you know, natural evil, tsunamis and yeah. tornadoes and earthquakes all of those would produce trials and suffering. I mean, we've we've seen examples of that just in the last couple of weeks, and um, and so you know they can trials and suffering for the Christian can come as a result even of of dying to self. Mm. You know, so as I as I put to death uh, the the desires, the evil desires of my heart, as I put to death self, there. There can be suffering in that. Sure, sure. Uh, I, you can find that as well, uh, suffering as a result of persecution that comes about in a, a believer's life because of a new life that they have, right? Yeah. That they've lost relational capital with other people because because of their life in Christ. Yeah. And, and that happens. You can also find instances of suffering that has no attachment to any sin in that person's life whatsoever. So I think of uh, the, the famous passage on this is in John chapter 9 with the blind man and the disciples ask, Lord, who, yeah. who sinned that caused this man? Yeah. Was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus says, it was neither. Yeah. No, it was, this isn't a result of, of any specific sin in anyone's life. This is so that the glory of God can be displayed. And you go, oh, okay, so at a big level, Suffering can come from like every possible angle because of your sin, not because of your sin. You don't know if it's because of your sin, because of the sin of someone nearby you, because of your righteousness, because of nothing that you had to do at all. All right, suffering's a part of human life. Yeah. And and so then really the next question is how do we make how do we make sense of it? Right? Do the scriptures help us make sense of it at all? Because as we look at yeah. scripture, there was a lot of folks in scripture that were trying to make sense of their suffering. They were trying to understand it within this context of what we're talking about, right? For for example, Job. And Job is one of the high, you know, watermark levels of scripture where you say, this is going to help us 
peek through that door theologically and say, all right, how should we respond? Yeah. And how not to respond. You mentioned earlier when we were talking about this, Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a great one, yeah. I mean, Habakkuk is trying to make sense of all of the suffering, not only in his life, but everything that was going on around him. And he didn't he didn't get a really um, encouraging answer from the Lord. <laughs> that massive geopolitical level, right? I mean, we're talking about empires of Assyria and Babylon, not not I didn't catch the red light, now I'm late for work type of suffering. He's he's talking about wiping out of people groups and reshifting of the the nation states of the day. You go, okay, this is a big picture suffering. I, I think of the Apostle Paul oh, yeah. frequently is going to yeah. talk about his own sufferings and going to kind of blow a hole in the paradigm of the world as he talks about rejoicing in his sufferings. And then obviously I think of Christ and the suffering of Christ on the cross. Yeah. And go, okay, the Bible has a lot to say on this topic. In fact, it is one of the the big questions of any human's life at some level, right? When that suffering shows up and it darkens your doorstep, and if it hasn't, it will, and if it already has, you can, like, it doesn't take much to get you back there, right? You can remember the dread or the, the that low pit in the stomach feeling of what are we going to do? Um, how do I respond to those yeah. I mean, in, in kind of as we think about how people are trying to make sense of their suffering, we talked about a few examples. I, I don't know that it's any clearer than in the Psalms. The, the Psalms are so instructive on suffering and what suffering looks like and, and how to suffer and the fight, the fight in our suffering. We're, we're, we're maybe... Uh, kind of showing our hand here a little bit, but but the psalmist, you see throughout the psalms of this fight between being overwhelmed by their circumstances, by their trials, yep. and and this fight to remember God, yep. to remember God's promises, God's character, uh, God's faithfulness in the past. And so there's this there's this fight between being consumed with their circumstances and the fight to be consumed with the God of their circumstances. Mm. And that's throughout, I mean, yeah, even in, yeah. so, I mean, we could give so many more examples, but the point is that Christians aren't exempt from troubles, and yet often our responses to the trials in our lives reveal that we think we deserve something better. Mm-hmm. I mean, and again, it's it's like we said when we, at the beginning, because our, our reasoning goes something like this, if God's both all-powerful and good, how can he permit this evil in my life? If right. God loves me, why would... Why would he allow this into my life? And so where, maybe where's God in this? And so I think this is a good segue into kind of the second part of this is how do we think biblically about trials and suffering? Yeah. And at one level, we have to start, I think, by recognizing that we actually deserve the suffering. And so like it it kind of reframes the conversation, right? That that there's an assumption in a lot of our questions that kind of thinks we we should be exempt from this mm-hmm. sort of thing. And, it, and a, a deeper assumption within that is that we don't have sin in our lives. Mm-hmm. And if we drill down deep enough, we start to think, right, that, that the classic, why do bad things happen to good people, assumes a goodness in you that, that you, I don't think is present if you read it in your Bible well. You're going to find, no, 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 that, what is it native to me? 
what, what is found in spades in my life and in my heart is a wickedness that, that deserves punishment, that deserves yeah. a, a broken world because I'm a part of bringing that around. So at, at one level, we have to recognize that, right? That, that I'm sinful. And now, please, please don't take that and, and run to conclusions. I, I think you deserve fill in the blank, all right. kinds of brokenness yeah. in your life. Um, you are part of the, the sin in this world. And so you've contributed to the suffering of the world at some level. There's, there's no way around that. That being said, we have as, as believers a, a deeper perspective on when suffering shows up, how to respond to that, because we see that God's able to use suffering, that, that oftentimes God's sovereignty is not shown in what he prevents, but in what he rescues. And so he's able to redeem things that I, I, I look at and I go, everything's bad in this. How, how can God use this? Yeah, not only how can God use this, but I'd even push, I'd even push back a little bit and say before we even get there is where is God in this hmm. so so part of the part of the question is what you know how can God use us but I think as we start thinking about this biblically is where is God in this in fact let me even get more specific could God have prevented this hmm. and 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 if so if our answer is yes and it should be if the answer is yes then why hasn't he and even, even more important than this, and I realize this is going to be a bit, some of the folks who are going to listen might push back on this, might disagree with this, and that's, that's good and that's right, and we, we want to flesh this out. But I think it starts as we start thinking about how to think biblically about this, because I, I smell a part two coming, because we're gonna, <laughs> I think we're going to get caught up in some of what we're getting ready to talk about, but is God always the ultimate cause mm. of trials and suffering. Right. In, yep. in other words, does my trials and my suffering, whether they're I'm in it now or or in it down the road, is God the ultimate cause of that? Or does all of that happen outside of his, well, his reign as king? Right, yeah. Yeah, I think to answer the question, and we have to be careful with the language because people get tripped up on this sometimes. Yes, in one sense, God is the ultimate cause, um, even of your suffering. Mm. And, and I don't think you should shy away from that because the Bible doesn't shy away from yeah. that. Don't, don't try to uh, improve upon the Bible's language on these things. We're always at a, at a mistake there. That being said, if you are in Christ, you have the immense promise that while God is sovereign over all of this, none of it will be wasted. So yeah. he brings these things in your life it's it's not that God was surprised, like oh my goodness, I, I I didn't see that one coming. I I didn't see that that rebellious child or that broken marriage or that loss of a job or that natural disaster or that diagnosis. You know, go ahead and fill in the blank. That war, that famine, that whatever it may be, God was not surprised. And I'll go even further. God caused mm. at one level those broken and harmful things. Now. The beauty and sovereignty of God is that even in those broken and harmful things that God brought about, He is able to use them as a means of grace in our lives. Yeah. Can I play the devil's advocate Go for, for a minute? Because I think because that's I think that's where 
that's kind of where we're at in, yep. in, in suffering is I just can't wrap my, my head, my heart around this idea that somehow you're saying God's the ultimate cause of trials and suffering. And so what would be some examples as we start to, we start to think about how does scripture look at this? Mm-hmm. Where do we find examples of this idea that in one way, God is the ultimate cause of, of trials and suffering without, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of adding something to what, to what you've already said, but yep. without being guilty of sin, yes, without being guilty of evil, because that's the there's the tension right in the, in what we're talking about is how could God be sovereign, without being over sin and suffering without being guilty of sin, yeah, and, and so what, what would be some, as you've worked through this in your own mm-hmm. life, because I think we all, have had to or are. What are some things that have been helpful to you? What are some examples from Scripture to help you get there? Yeah, let me throw a few verses out there. So one of them that that tends to make people of our uh, modern Western uh, good sensibilities, we get a little squeamish when we hear this language, and I go, don't be squeamish. This is the, the Bible's own description of God. So Isaiah 45, 6 and 7. I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun from the West that there is none beside me. And then here we get to the part. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And then Lamentations 3, 37, 38, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come mm-hmm. Or if you go to Jeremiah 51, and I'll just describe it to you. You can look it up, Jeremiah 51, 11 to 12, and then verse 24 as well. This conversation that that God is the one who brought about the Persians and the Babylonians, and and he'll get his day of vengeance. And that's the same yeah. thing that happens in Habakkuk, right? Oh, Habakkuk. Where, like, the question <laughs> comes back to Habakkuk in Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous live by faith, Habakkuk. Habakkuk cries out, God, where are you? Why are you letting the unjust trample over the just? And God says, oh, oh, you, oh. you think Assyria's bad? It's Bab- going to get worse. Yeah, Babylon's coming, Habakkuk. Why don't you buckle up? This is going to become way darker than what you think it is. And in the midst of that, your response is, do you have faith that the Almighty God can use this brokenness for the ultimate good of you and of God? Yeah. And uh, maybe I'm I'm jumping too far here, um, but I, I don't want to leave it hang. The question of God using something broken that we kind of go, I don't know, God could God cause evil? All right, and, and this is where I always point people to, and I think it helps it helps me. And go was was what happened at the cross evil? And it's hard for anybody to find a way to say no, right? Like. It, it oh. is it is definitionally evil. It is it's it's the climax of evil, right? The, the most concentrated evil. If there ever was a moment of it's the greatest evil that's ever taken place, right? If there was ever a moment that we could say unequivocally, "Oh yes, there was evil here," right? Someone sinless being treated as if they were the worst of all sinners. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that is unjust. By definition, it, it is an evil moment in history. And, okay, great. So that's that's point number one. Point number two, did God cause it? 
Was was it plan A or was it plan B? It, it was the plan from the beginning, right? So what you're and this is really important, Luke, yeah. is what you're saying is that you're saying that before Genesis three or before Genesis one, that God saw ordained a crucified Christ. It wasn't plan B like, oh, Genesis 3 happened. Oh, stink. What am I going to do now? Oh, yep. I got an idea. Let's do a cross thing. You're, sa- you're saying, I mean, this is huge, Written right? into the DNA of creation before anything else. Okay, so let. this is really key. What are some key texts? Yeah. Because this, for some of us, we're hearing this for the first time, right? It's like, wait, 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 wait. The cross was plan A. I mean, in Genesis 1, when he spoke, when Christ, God through Christ, spoke the world into existence, mm-hmm. the second member of the Trinity, there was already a plan for his crucifixion. What are some, how do we get there on a podcast with, in just a few minutes, right? What are some key things to help us? Well, the, the one that I would first go to is <clears throat> Ephesians chapter one. Mm. And so, blessed be the God, the Father, and Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before Before. the foundation of the the world, world. that we should Mm -hmm. be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise and of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So, I I mean, you're going to have a hard time finding anything more directly that this was God's plan before he created. and The Almighty God sat outside of time with a plan to create, knowing that it would fall, knowing that the redemption of that broken creation would be himself taking on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, die at the hands of sinners for sin, be buried, rise again, and ascend into heaven. Yeah, that that's written into the first script, right? The, yeah. the, the yeah. deep magic, as it's called in Narnia, right? <laughs> the, it's, it was there before anyone else even knew. Yeah. And again, this is, this is so important in shaping how we view our own, our own suffering. I mean, in, in other words, if we're going to answer the question, Lord, where are you in this? Mm-hmm. Lord, how, if you're good and, 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 and you're faithful and in your sovereign, why would you allow this into my life? Right. What you've, you're suggesting is before we can answer that question, we've got, to, we've got to filter that through the cross and where the greatest evil of all has met the greatest good of all. And what a great, I mean, we're recording this on Monday, Thursday, right, of we Holy are, Week. Yeah. So, so what a great time to be thinking and talking about this. So, and that leads to the question of even even the why i mean and and i and i think a big part of that is as we wrestle with that is you mentioned ephesians 1 in 5 and 6 of ephesians 1 cuz it's just this big long run you know run together sentence yep. but there's this hint of of the answer why when paul talks about god's the demonstration of the glory of his grace to the praise of his glorious grace. Here is, there the, it is. It, the end for which all of the suffering, all of the brokenness, all of creation in and of itself, right? Jonathan Edwards has a, his book, The End for Which the Universe Was Created, and it is to the glory, glory. of God. Yeah. So 
Okay, so way back up to our first point. Um, yes, the cross was e- evil, heinous, broken in every way. And two, it was not only caused by God, but planned from the very beginning. Okay, so that's point one. There's point two. Now I, I go to point three. Did God use that most broken instance that he planned for the good of you, for the good of creation, for the good of the church, for the good of his ultimate end, his own glory? To which any orthodox Christian is going to have to say, yes and yes, amen, to all three points. Mm -hmm. Yes, God caused it. Yes, it was evil. Yes, it was for my good, for the good of his glory, for the good of the church. Okay, so now we've established at some level that not only can God use brokenness, he can use the ultimate brokenness, the most broken thing that has ever been for our good and for his glory. Yeah, Yeah, and as as you've kind of taken us to the the climax, right, of our question. I think there's even some some shadows along the way of the storyline of Scripture that help us see the same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. for example, in Joseph's life, you remember in chapter 45 yeah. and then oh, yeah. later again in 50, when, when, and I think Joseph kind of says it right there. He says in 45, he says to his brothers, you intended it for evil, so there we see their their choices that they made. And yet he also shows God's intent. And he said, but you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And he said it again in chapter 50 after Jacob died, right? So the story of Joseph if really is a, in some ways a shadow that points us to the climax at the cross. God using what is broken to bring about good, even though, right, and and. Don't downplay this. Joseph spends 13 years in prison and in slavery. 13 years mm. from chapter 37, where he's 17 years old, to when he's finally elevated in 42. He, it's 13 years of a broken life that he just lived. You go, ooh, I don't, can I wait that long? Okay. Yeah. And, and here's, now we get to the, the applicational crux of this. If all those things are true, can you trust God in your suffering? Mm-hmm. If, if I can bridge the gap between the cross being the instance of ultimate suffering that God caused, planned, and used for your his glory and your good, do I trust that God can do that in my own life? And Joseph is a great example. Joseph never has, a, at least not that we have recorded, any conversation with God. Mm-mm. He, yeah, I, I know the text tells us that the favor of the Lord was with him. I don't know if I would have felt like God's favor was with me after I went from being uh, betrayed by my brothers, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, accused of se- uh, uh, falsely accused of sexual impropriety, then thrown into an Egyptian prison. That doesn't feel like the resume of God's favor. And yet, God used it for his good. Mm for Joseph's good, for the nation's good, and for God's glory. Okay, do I have the trust? I may never be able to see how God used that for good. Do I still trust the character of God to bring that yeah. about? And that that maybe is our part too right there. How do you go about trusting the character of God? Yeah, and I think even before we get into how to do that and how to respond to trials and suffering, we probably ought to spend, and maybe again this is a part two, just what are God's, as a, as a Christian— 
what are God's purposes in my trials and suffering? Can't, because we're always asking why. We're trying to process why, 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 God, why, why. Well, is, does Scripture help us at least to give us some answers? While some things may remain a mystery, are there some things that we can wrap our hands around, our hearts around, that explain to us what God is using our suffering for? I think that those would probably be good part twos. As we kind of wrap, maybe we wrap this up, and we're just thinking about this, this idea of developing a biblical perspective on trials and suffering and God's sovereignty over it. One of the, one of the passages that just gripped me that I, I struggled with and had to wrestle with was in Job. You mentioned Job earlier and Job's suffering in question. And, we're, and in, in chapter 42, kind of in the epilogue of mm. the entire narrative, in verse 11, and this is just mind-bending, Job says, the narrative says, all of his brothers and sisters, I'm in 42.11 right now, all of his brothers and sisters and former acquaintances came to him and dined with him in his house. They sympathized with him and they comforted him. And now get this, concerning all the adversity that the Lord had brought on him. If I was writing that narrative, I would not have said that. I would have said concerning all the adversity that Satan had brought on him. But yet, the Spirit of God, as he authored this, said concerning all the adversity that the Lord had brought on him. That Now, that makes sense yep. in the context of the cross. It, it makes sense yes. in the context of what we're talking about. But when I read that for the first time, and that was brought to my attention, I didn't know what to—I didn't know how to handle that. Because what we would want to do is, is not make God culpable— Oh, that that language is. I, I'm not comfortable with that. This is right. All everything that God allowed to be brought in, and that, but that's not the language that the Bible uses. It's not that God allowed it; the Lord brought it. He was the active participant in making that happen in Job's life. And and don't get me wrong, there is an element. You read Job chapter one, and the deceiver is there, and you you yeah. have this engagement between God and. And traditionally, although it's you know debated, the the interpretation of that being Satan involved, how you work that out, uh, and the the question of the culpability of God is no God is not culpable, but in one sense does He ultimately cause? And the Bible does not shy away in any way, shape, or form from saying God caused that, brought about good in Job's life through a bunch of darkness and valleys. And I, I think, yeah, we probably have gone long enough to make sure we, we do come back to what are God's purposes and, the, and the how are we supposed to trust that? I think they're good follow-up questions. So maybe a, maybe a good place to at least wrap this up. And I think we the other thing we probably ought to pick up in the next one, too, or it, it, and I think we've touched on it, but I, I want to spend a little more time on it. We're not suggesting that God's the author of sin. No. Quite the contrary. Correct. Quite the contrary, and I think there's plenty of passages that inform that. So we need to we need to make a note of that. But maybe a good place to end this would be a a quote from um, from John Piper on he did a conference a number of years ago on suffering and the sovereignty of God that was just so helpful. But in that he uh, in one of his he had two presentations in that conference and. Um, here's a quote from one of those, and maybe we wrap up here. He said, therefore, and again, we're talking about the cross, the greatest evil producing the greatest good, 
Therefore, what Paul means, and he's talking about Ephesians 1, is that to choose us in Christ and to plan to adopt us through Christ was to plan the suffering and death of his son before the foundations of the world. He goes on and he says, Ephesians 1, 6, and then verse 12 and 14, make it plain that the goal of this plan was to bring about the praise of the glory of the grace of God. And that is why he planned the suffering and death of his son for sinners before the creation of the world. Love it. So good. You betcha. We'll, we'll get into those, uh, those three questions, uh, how to trust, uh, what are God's purposes in my suffering, and then also uh, trying to tease out how the relationship between God and the authoring of sin. We'll try and touch on that in part two, and as well as uh, suggest some uh, resources. i got to wait a whole week for you this. Gotta, you got to wait a whole week. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us. We appreciate you being here.